all point towards one important virtue of gratitude. And you can't have gratitude without humility. Humility is always the cement, you know, the groundwork. It's the groundwork for every virtue. Faith, you can't have faith without humility. You can't have hope without humility. You can't have love without humility. You can't even have courage without humility, where you see other people at the same level as you see yourself, or even greater. So humility is always at the bottom of all these virtues. And that's why in these readings you see humility in Naam, the, the Syrian military general. You see the humility in, Tim, in Timothy, who is the disciple of Paul in the second reading. You see the humility in Paul, who is writing in prison and saying to Timothy, I trust in the Lord. Even with these chains around me, even in this prison, God is good. God is great. What he's done to me, what he's done for me, is worth everything that I'm sacrificing and offering up. And then you see it also, the humility, in the one leper that returns, that's able to show the gratitude. So humility produces, opens the door for gratitude. And if we don't say thank you often, if we still struggle, before I came into the church, I heard this one little boy saying, I don't want to go in, I don't want to go in. <laughs> I, I, yeah, you know, okay, okay. Humility is the foundation of gratitude. And if we don't know what to appreciate in our life, if we can't see the appreciations in our life, what God has done, then we're not going to say thank you. We're not going to be getting down on our knees often. I feel as though all of you have been gypped, though, in the first reading, because this story in 2 Kings is one of the most beautiful stories in the Old Testament. And we only got a snippet of it. This story about Nahum is one of the most beautiful stories in the Old Testament. And if you ever get a chance, if you get a chance, read it. But I think it's fair enough to go over it. In the very beginning of the chapter, chapter 5, verse 1, the author writes, Nahum, the army commander of the king of Aram, was highly esteemed and respected by all. Here's this general, young, vibrant, conquered half the lands around Syria, uh, living in a huge house, living it up. He's got everything. He's got respect. He's got money. He's got power. He's got people surrounding him, servants left and right. But he had a problem. And the author says he was a good man, but he was a leper. In other words, he lost everything. Everything. I don't know how it feels to have it all and then to lose it all. Actually, I can imagine what it feels like. And I'm sure some of us out here maybe have felt that. To have it all and then to lose it all. And that's probably the stuff that causes us sometimes to think about jumping off somewhere or just ending it all. When you've had it all and you lose it all. And what prevents him from doing that? 
What stops him? Maybe when he was a young man, he had nothing. So maybe he knows what it means to be poor or to have a minimum. But in this story, it turns out that Naaman, when he had conquered parts of Israel, he had seen a little Jewish girl, and he took her into his house as his servant. And it's amazing when you think about that, how little Jewish girls seem to be so prominent in Scripture. There's also another little Jewish girl that did amazing things, right? Mary. But this little girl is unknown. So when she overheard that Naaman had leprosy, she went over to him and she, you know, it's like, yes, what can I do for you? And she said, my Lord, there's a king in Israel, I believe, that can help you, that can cure you. And what do you think Naaman does? What do you do when you've lost it all? You build new relationships. You become humble, and humility forces you to build new relationships because all the old ones, all the people you used to party with, all the people that used to want to know you, you know, because you had the connection, you know, you, know, you had the ends, all of a sudden they disappear. So Naaman is ready to build new relationships. And so he goes to the king of Israel and he brings everything he has, his horses, his chariots, his gold, his silver, and he says, with this letter, with my presentation, I ask you to cure me. And the king of Israel Just like a politician, he's like, who do you think I am, God? I'm not God. I can't help you. What, are you trying to pick a fight with me now? You know, you're trying to, you know, take away my land? You mean, you know, like, right, gratitude. Why are you doing this? Why are you here? Right, no good deed goes unpunished, right? What are you up to? And say, and he says to Naaman, I can't help you. But a prophet was nearby, again. Always seems to be in the shadows. When things are going lousy, when things are going tough, always seems to be in the shadow. Someone there for you. You know, it's always like the cross, right? No, no matter how far away we are, we can still see that cross in the distance. You can't get away from it. It's always there. But it's a reminder that you're loved. So the prophet Elisha overhears the conversation and he says to the king, why don't you ask me? Why don't you ask God if he can help? So the prophet tells the king, send him over to my place. And so Naaman, with all his horses, with all his chariots, with all his gold, with all his silver, he goes over to Elisha's place, and he says, can you help me? 
And Elisha says to him, I can. Go to the Jordan River and bathe seven times. Go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And Naaman listens to what he tells him, and he's like, that's it? Are you telling me I just need to wash my face? Are you insulting me? Are you making fun of me? And he's like, what do you think? Your river there is better than our river in Damascus and everywhere? Come on. What a phony you are. That's skepticism. Because sometimes we think that God has to do, like all of a sudden the lights have to go out, right? Some sort of like mist come in, flames, right? You're healed, healed, you know, like on TV, right? Healed, you know? Something extraordinary. No? Go to the river and bathe yourself sometime. So he says, I'm out of here. But a servant, a servant, again, runs over to his master and says, Father, he even calls him my father. If the prophet told you to do something extraordinary, would you not do it? All the more since he told you, wash and be clean. Right? You've been, you've been in too many high places you don't know what it means to do something simple. Just do it. My father, do it. So Naaman goes and he bathes himself seven times and all of a sudden his skin begins to turn like that of a little child and he was clean. So when he ran back to Elisha, he said to him, Now I know that there is no other God except the God in Israel. And please accept my gift. And he gives them gold and silver and horses. And Elisha, like a good Catholic, says no. (laughs) He says no. Now, if it were me, no, anyways. He says, no. Got to give thanks to God. Enough of worshiping people. Enough of thinking people are God. Enough of worshiping golden calves, money, power, cars. Enough. Worship God. Give thanks to God. In fact, give thanks to God for everything. And Naaman says, if you will not accept, please, have two mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer make burnt offerings or sacrifices to any God except your God. So in the old days, so Naaman asks, can I take some land, some, some dirt from here? Because in the old days, People believed that you could only worship a god in the country that the god was active. So they wanted the dirt. So he wanted to take the dirt, bring it back to Damascus, 
so that he could then lay the dirt down, build an altar, and worship God, so that God would be there. And Naaman said, Elisha says to him, go ahead, do whatever you want. What's remarkable, that's where now, so we picked up where the story just ended in the reading. What's remarkable is then, then someone overheard the whole conversation with the king and couldn't believe that he wouldn't take the gold or the silver. So this servant of Elisha, his name is Gehazi, runs as fast as he can over to Naaman as he's departing. And Naaman looks behind and sees this guy running from the house of Elisha, the prophet, and he says, ho, 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 wait, 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 wait. And Gehazi says to him, uh, sir, sir, you know, uh, I think we could take some of your gold, right? You know, we'd like to add an addition to the house, you know? So he says to him, you know, if you have something to give, we could really use it. So Gehazi, so Naaman says to Gehazi, what do you want? And he says, well, if you can give me one bar of gold and one bar of silver, that would be, that would, you know, really solve all our problems. And so the general gives him two bars of gold and two bars of silver. And I'm thinking, when I'm reading this story, I'm thinking, ah, I see. Maybe the reason why people are not so generous is because they're worried that you're going to start asking for more and more and more. Or you take advantage. You take advantage of people when they're generous to you. So Naaman says, I'm going to give you two bars of gold, two bars of silver. And then he takes off. And then Gehazi comes back with the gold and the silver. And Elisha, what did you do? And Gehazi says, well, you know, we could use some money. We could use some gold. And, you know. and, Gehazi, and Elisha says to Gehazi, what Naaman used to have, you will now have. The leprosy that left Naaman will now come to you. Just like a good old Old Testament story. Yeah. <laughs> right? You know? Right? You know? This isn't like forgive and be for no, 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 in the Old Testament. <laughs> okay? And that's it. And so what do we see in this story? We see how we have to be very careful that gratitude can easily be lost. The virtue of gratitude can easily be lost. Yesterday, the Pope canonized a man who was a convert to Catholicism and became a cardinal in the Catholic Church. And his name was Cardinal Newman. And if you ever go to the 10 o'clock Mass, or if you've ever been in any colleges, you may have heard of the Newman Centers, right? And we, at the 10 o'clock Mass, we see a whole five or six rows of young men and women from the UTD that attend our Mass from the Newman Center. Cardinal Newman, after his conversion, wrote this thesis on gratitude. And it is so beautiful. And I want to read to you part of it. 
He said, gratitude is always between two people. It's never between a person and a thing. Never. Never. If you're grateful for a law, it's because people helped to write it. If you're grateful for a home, it's because people helped to build it. Nothing. Gratitude is always between two people. But what kind of people? Gratitude always has this uneven relationship. One that can give and the other that must receive. One that asks and the other one who is ready to reply. But it is what brings everybody face to face. You see, if it's always like this, the relationship where I look down or I look up, then humanity has no future. But when we are willing to help those who do not have, and we are willing to receive the help with humility and dignity, then we can see face to face with each other. And that is the building block of community. It has to be voluntary. It has to be with reverence. We never want to humiliate. And it has to be true gratitude. It's not like the gratitude, I think most of us probably say thank you most often, most often when we're in the supermarket. And it's the one time that we don't need to say thank you. It's when you go to Walmart and, you know, or Sam's or whatever, and you're, you know, scanning all your items, and then the person says to you, that will be $58, please. And then you pay $58, and then they give you the receipt, and you say, thank you. <laughs> Why am I saying thank you? I just paid for this. If someone gave it to me for free, that, oh, yeah, thank you. But no, that's a receipt. There's nothing to be grateful. You got re- what you were supposed to receive. So let's make sure that the time that we use the word thank you or that we show our gratitude is really true, authentic gratitude. During the Mass, there's a part at the Eucharistic prayer where the priest says, let us give thanks to the Lord our God. And you respond, it is right and just. And then the priest says, it is truly right and just. Our duty and our salvation always and everywhere to give you thanks, Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and ever-living God. It is right, it is just, it is fitting, it's appropriate for us to give God thanks always and everywhere. So how do we show our gratitude to God? What can we do? What little thing can we do? Well, we can give our time, We can give our talent. We can give our treasure to the Lord. We have to be careful. And we have to teach others that when they say, I don't want to go to Mass, or I don't want to go to church, it's almost like saying, I have nothing to be grateful for. Nothing. Nothing. I don't need to show gratitude to God for anything. And I think only the fool truly says something like that. We don't need to pray to God for opportunities to be grateful. We need to pray to God to be able to recognize all of them. Amen?